to take up our offering. Um, and if you've been, never been to Redeemer, uh, the primary way that most people give is online. And um, if you have a cell phone or a mobile device of any kind, uh, if you go to evansvillechurch.com forward slash giving, you can give right there on the webpage. You also can give through your phone. Is the number up there? Yep, phone number is on the screen. Just type Evansville into the message. It will shoot back a link, click on the link, and it's pretty easy after that. You also can give through the app. We have a free mobile app. You go to either your whatever app store you use, type in Redeemer Fellowship Church. Uh, that will show up. You can download that for free, and on that app you can give. So pretty easy, pretty simple. Um, and uh, I'm going to – do we have an off yep. – all right. We have an um, offertorial prayer that we read every week um, that uh, – I'm going to read right now. Blessed are you, God, of all creation. Through your goodness, we have these gifts to share. Accept and use our offerings for your glory and for the service of your kingdom. Blessed be God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you tonight. Lord, beholding your glory, beholding your creation. And Lord, as you have provided for us this week, you provided for us this year and this month, Lord, we want to show our thankfulness, and we want to worship you through giving, Lord. Pray, Lord, that we, you would change our hearts and make us cheerful givers. Lord, we love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, if you have a Bible, we are in the book of First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 13, and uh, we're going to be talking about, we started this series a few weeks ago called We Are Redeemer. We do this every fall, uh, the beginning of the fall, but we start kind of talking about our, our values, who we are as a church, and uh, and so we've been talking about, the first week we talked about worshipers. We are worshipers of God, and as a church, we want to produce worshipers of God through our ministry. The second thing is disciples. We want to produce disciples of Christ, those who are growing in the Word of God. And today we're going to talk about members and talk about committing to the local church. And uh, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 13, but we're really going to be using 12 as well. But, uh, so we're, but I'm just going to read the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read the whole chapter. Most of the time this uh, chapter is read at weddings. And uh, which it makes sense, it fits that context really well. But uh, the actual primary context for this chapter on love, this poem on love, is the church. So read, as we read that, as you follow along, let's keep that in mind as I read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a jangling cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice 
at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, for when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter about love. Lord, help us to understand that the primary context for this chapter is the church. Our love for the fellow brothers and sisters that we worship with every week. Lord, help us to be committed to one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to equip and build up one another, and to love one another as Christ loves the church, as Christ gave up his life for the church. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us. Lord, we pray for those who are sick or away or wherever they are. Lord, we pray for them, that you would keep them, that you would watch over them, that you would strengthen them through your spirit. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for the houses that surround this church building. Many people, Lord, who do not know you, who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, will you reveal yourself to them? Use Redeemer Fellowship Church to reveal your light and your truth. The power of salvation that can save lives, that can give joy. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would save them. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for everyone here. We thank you for keeping these people safe and watching over them. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take this off, right? Um, does anyone know who Chuck Colson is? I know Lisa does. Lisa's met Chuck Colson. Anyone else? Yeah, Chuck Colson, yeah. Uh, he, he passed away just recently, but he was a uh, on staff uh, with President Nixon. Uh, and he was sent to jail because of Watergate. And while he was in jail, he was he received Christ. He, he, he put his faith in Christ, became a Christian in prison. And then when he left prison, he started prison fellowship which is a ministry still today that reaches those who are in prison with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joe Colson has written many books. He's become a, he became a really, uh, he's a powerful thinker. Um, and uh, there was an interview that he did, and he was talking about his church. He grew up at, well, actually, he was a Christian at First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida. He was a member of, at First Baptist Church of Naples, Florida, until the day he died. And, uh, by the way, the title of this sermon is, Where Are You a Christian? Where Are You a Christian? And that title is based off an answer he gave to the question from the interviewer, hey, Dr. Colson, where do you go to church? And uh, this is what Chuck Colson says. He says, I don't go to a church. I'm a member of a church. You don't ask where somebody goes to a country club. I'm not talking about where you're going. I'm talking about where you plant your flag and say, this is where I am a Christian. This is where I am a Christian. 
So he, the interviewer kind of felt bad because he asked him where he went to church, and Buck Johnson just rebukes his question completely and says, it's not about where you go, it's about where are you a Christian? And he's a Christian at First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida, to the day he died. Where and place is such an important question. Where are you from? When you meet someone for the first time, most times the first question you ask them or the second question you ask them is what? Where are you from? Why do we ask that question? Because where someone is from says a lot about who they are. If they're from Texas, that says a lot about who they are, right? California, Minnesota, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Florida. Cities in these particular states brings out a certain identity of who these people are. In our internet age, there's a crisis of place. People don't identify from where they're from because most of the time you meet people online and where they're from doesn't matter when we talk about the internet. People are less and less defined by where they live, where they work, and where they worship. One of the things I love about living on the west side is people who live on the west side of Evansville are proud where they are from. And there's certain things about west siders that are significant, right? Fall festival, they're proud of the fall festival. They're proud of Franklin Street. They're proud of rights in modern day high school and football that are played on Friday nights. They're proud of ski, drink. They're proud of these things. When someone says they're from the west side, you can basically answer a lot of questions about them because of where they're from. Landmarks, institutions, culture, and events are somewhat defined by where it happens. This reality has affected people's identity where you are not created to live in vagueness. Instead, you are created to dwell in specific places. You are called by God to worship in specific places. Where are you a Christian? The main idea of this passage and this, this sermon is that those who are followers of Christ should love the church, a specific body of believers, by using their gifts to build up the church. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is one chapter over from what I've read, and you look at verse 12 and 14, we get this amazing passage about the body of Christ. And that there are many members in one body. Paul says in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. You have to start with this before you even get into the topic of the discussion of church, before you get into the discussion of love, is do you have faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The rest of the things I will talk about will have no bearing on your life if you're not a Christian. The call to be a part of a local church, to be called to a local body of believers, has no bearing on your life if you're not in Christ. That's what Paul says. So it is with Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and am crucified. Why does he say this? Because Christ crucified is the power of salvation for the sinner. To receive the Spirit of God so that you might understand the things freely given to us by God. Basically, Paul's saying you can't even understand the things of God unless you have the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to have the Holy Spirit until you put your faith in Christ, the one who was crucified for your sins. 
Those who have been saved by the cross of Christ have been made a member of Christ's body. You can't be a part of Christ's body without putting your faith in Christ. So Paul says, just as the body is one and has many members, those many members are united together into one body. He uses the human body as an illustration of the local church. They're united as one, but there are many members. Basically saying you cannot have a church with one person. And as is in the human body, so it is in the body of Christ. There are many members that are united into the one body by the Holy Spirit. Again, that's why I said before, you have to have faith in Christ to receive the Holy Spirit. And you have to be, receive the Holy Spirit to be united in the church of Christ. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptism here isn't talking about water baptism. It's talking about being baptized, baptized with the Holy Spirit. All have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. All have been made to drink of the same spirit. He even says in chapter 10, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, we're all partakers of the one bread. That's why the importance of the Lord's Supper. We share the same bread. We share the same Christ. We share the same spirit. You notice here, we're not united in race. We're not united in nationality. We're not, we're not united in skin color or income level. We're united in Christ. The common experience of the members of the one body is the Holy Spirit. That's what unites us. Too often churches are united under other things other than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what unites us as one body. All of us have different backgrounds. All of us are from different places. All of us have different educational backgrounds. Some of us have college degrees. Some of us don't have college degrees. What unites us is the Holy Spirit and our faith in Christ Jesus. That's what unites us. That's the common experience. They receive the Holy Spirit and through faith and devotion to Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says that the Holy Spirit identifies and, and, and assures that we are children of God, that we share the same Father, that every one of us that are in Jesus can call out to God and say, Abba, Father. We share the same Father. We share the same Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 8, 8 through 15, that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. It will guide you into all truth. It will glorify Christ through you. Now that's what's an important thing to establish here is that what I say later on, if you struggle with understanding it or you are against what, I, what the Bible says, most likely you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Why? Because it convicts you of sin and it leads you or guides you to truth. The Holy Spirit does not lead you to vague living or vague thinking. Sin is a sin. Truth is truth. God's glory is displayed in you or not. If you have the Holy Spirit... You'll be convicted of sin, you'll be guided to truth, and your life will glorify God. If you aren't convicted of your sin, if you aren't led to truth, and your life doesn't glorify God, most likely you don't have the Holy Spirit. You need to call out to Christ for faith and trust to be saved. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Spirit in your life? 
Are you convicted of sin? Are you living according to the word of God? Those are two important questions to ask to assure if you're actually a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, when I say be united with your brother and sisters in Christ, you'll say amen. You won't fight me on that. The second thing is each member is necessary to the whole. Each member is necessary to the whole. Paul continues in chapter 12 and verse 14 through 31. That diversity in the body is necessary. It's the same in the human body. It's also necessary in the body of Christ. Diversity is a necessary thing. He even uses this illustration about the foot and the ear and the eye. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm out of hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, do I not belong to the body? That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. No one member is to be acquainted with the body. The body here is the church, the local church. He's especially talking about the church of Corinth. That's who he's writing to. Most of the time in the New Testament, when church is mentioned, it's mentioning little, a, a local bodies of believers. Churches like Redeemer. Churches out that you maybe grew up in. Every, most of the time when church is mentioned in the New Testament, it's talking about local churches. And Paul is talking to a local church. He says no one person can actually make up a church or make up a body. Just like a eye cannot say it's a body. It has to have the nose and the ears and the foot. An eye cannot make a whole body. That would make a, good, a horribly grotesque body if you just had a walking or talking eye. Or if it didn't even talk, it's just a big eye that just kind of oozed its way down the streets or down the sidewalk. That we would be our, we would, we would be grotesque, that would like make us shriek, wouldn't it? That's what basically Paul's saying. Why would an eye want to be apart from the rest of the body? It makes no sense. It can't actually do its function properly without the rest of the body. It is ill-equipped to do all the functions necessary to be a body on its own. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. This is God's will and plan. The church consists of different people living and worshiping together as one. There is a, I don't know if you've ever, like, uh, if you're into, like, CNN or Fox News or Drudge Report, you go to it every day, there's a random occurrence where you will see a story about people who mutilate their bodies. Has anyone seen these stories? They're fascinating. What people are doing now is not just simply tattooing their body or putting pierces in their ears. People are literally having their tongue split in half to look like snakes. There is a man... Who has, his, his, his entire priority in life is to look like a tiger. So he had fangs. He had literally, he paid to have his teeth turn into fangs. He had his face mutilated to look like a tiger. There is a woman that has changed her body to look like a vampire. She has prosthetic horns coming out of her head. She's got tattoos all over her body. She has piercings all over her body. There's actually a thing now called tattooing your eyes. And so the eyes look dark and empty. Almost looks like Satan himself. You can see these pictures online if you Google it. 
people mutilating their bodies. Paul is basically saying when a Christian decides to live alone without the rest of the body, you're mutilating the body. Mutilating it. You cannot be a church, a body of Christ, on your own. There are many parts, yet one body. There are many different people that are unified in the spirit to make up the one church. And it's, Paul says that all are required. All are necessary. A part of the body, the eye or the ear can't say, I don't need you. I have no need of you. I can do it all on my own. Even the most sickly or feeble part is necessary to the whole. The indispensable, the less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Basically, he's talking about the things of our body that we don't show people, right? We don't show this because it's, it's disrespectful. It's not honorable to show your private parts. But he says, those are the parts that we cover with clothing. He says, even the most less honorable, we bestow greater honor to. Even the most sickly, weak, or feeble part of the body is still necessary. The same in the church. The most sickly, the most feeble, the most weak, or indispensable to the whole. It's ne they're necessary to the whole. So strong, the intelligent, the gifted, can't decide, we don't need you. You provide no help to us. You have no value to us. Those people, those members, those brothers or sisters are necessary, Paul says. They're indispensable to the strong. Even those who are weak or in your mind have nothing to offer you, God's word says they are necessary to you. You need others to function as a Christian. And Paul's saying, to be a Christian, to be a faithful follower of Christ, you cannot do it on your own. You have to have others to function as a Christian. Paul continues and says that there may, there, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If a Christian is not in a church, they've enacted a schism. See, we think about, we hear about churches that divide, right? You have a pastor that gets fired and half the church goes with him and starts a new church. The other groups of the church stay. We think of that as a schism, right? It's the same thing when someone does not involve themselves in the local church. They're dividing the body and actually creating a schism on their own. No different, less sinful. Also mutilating the body by removing yourself from the body. They've separated themselves. They've caused division. They've forsaken their responsibility to care for others. And the body is mutilated. There's a schism that happens. Paul says that we should care for one another. We should rejoice when the body suffers and rejoice together. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the body, and you're apart or separated from the body of Christ, you're an individual member of a schism. You've mutilated the body, and you should join and commit with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says here at the end of chapter 12, you're given a gift. You're called to use that gift for the sake of the body. You then need to need the others to use uh, use their gifts for your sake. And Paul says all this. And then he ends. He says, "I will show you a more excellent way." And that's when we get to the chapter of love in chapter thirteen. 
And the last point is this. Love to the church is the sign of the Spirit. Love to the church is the sign of the Spirit. Paul uses this amazing language here in the first three verses. He says, if you speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, you're basically a noisy gong. Basically, he's saying you could take the greatest oratorial person, somebody who speaks the most elegant, the most powerful, the most inspiring, the most beautiful voice you could possibly find. And if they did it and proclaimed the word of God, but they didn't do it in love, it would be like the most worst noise you could possibly hear. The most grotesque noise you could possibly hear if it's not done in love. The love of Christ that is being explained here by Paul is the love of Christ displayed on the cross. A love for an utterly unworthy. A love that is never taken away. A love that is not lost. Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ was offered for our sin. That's the love that's being talked about here in chapter 13. A love that we love people not for what they can provide us, but we love them out of the, out of the love of Christ because of our desire to reflect Christ. Have you ever experienced this love? Have you ever experienced the love of Christ in your life? A love that you did not earn. Paul continues here and says, the highest of gifts, if you had prophetic powers, if you understood all the mysteries and had all the knowledge and all the faith and belief to move mountains, but you just think the most maximum level you could possibly find, the smartest, the most knowledgeable, someone who knows more about God than anyone else, someone who's read more books and written books and talked more about God, had all the faith to even move mountains, but yet they did not love. He says, I, they are nothing. They are no one, Paul says. And they did not love. They did not love others through their knowledge and through their prophetic powers and through their faith. They are no one. They are nothing. If, even if a person were to sell all that they had and give it away, if they even sacrificed their life and burned their body for some major ideal, some great, uh, great ideal or some great uh, uh, sake or for some great movement, but they didn't love, there's no gain from it. There's no thing that is profited by it. Love is the most important thing, and it is all in the context of being a Christian. And being in the local church and loving others. Too many people in the church today care only about themselves and what they want. By doing that, they forsake this entire chapter. Love. What is love for the church? Paul tells us what this love is. Again, the context of this beautiful poem on love is the church, the bride of Christ. He says, love is patience. It's long-suffering. Just because one thing happens in the church or someone makes you mad doesn't mean you go off and find something new. You're long-suffering. You're patient. Love is kind. You are an approachable person. You are gentle. You are caring. Love, Christian love, does not envy or boast. 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It doesn't push for its own individual agenda. I'll come to your church, but you've got to do the way things that I want you to do. If you don't have a bells team, then I'm not going to come to your church or something like that. You don't insist on your own way. You don't push for your own individual agenda. You're not irritable or resentful. You're not mad and angry that someone else or another group receives more credit than you do. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. We're called to show this same love to one another to the glory of Christ. So God's holy people in Christ. We are called to show the love of Christ to one another. And Paul ends his chapter here, this amazing chapter. Love for the church remaining into eternity the last point. He says, things will pass away. These spiritual gifts that I mentioned in the chapter 10, will, or chapter 12 will pass away. These partial things will pass away. They will go to nothing. You will not have these gifts into eternity. And he says, faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these three is love. That love is permanent. So it's interesting about being a Christian when we go to heaven and are with Christ, we don't longer have any faith. Why? Because we can see Christ with our eyes. We don't have to hope without seeing. Right? The one thing that will be permanent even into future glory is love. Love for one another. What does that mean? That your love and your practice of Christian love on earth with one another will continue into eternity. Into eternity. So if you don't love the church now, you're going to hate heaven. Because it's all about loving one another and serving one another. That's the way of love. Love will always remain in the future glory. Love for Christ and love for the church who will reign together with Christ. There is a, um, so I am a Washington Redskins fan, but now I'm a Washington football team fan. Because they changed their name to that generic name. And um, they've been horrible for a while. So I'm kind of a free agent for my NFL. I'm looking towards the Titans as my new fandom. Um, not the Colts, who lost today the Jaguars. Uh, but most likely the Titans. Um, but there was a great wide receiver from the Redskins called Art Monk. And Art Monk was a great wide receiver that played in the early 90s, late 80s. And he made the Hall of Fame. And during his Hall of Fame speech, this is what he said. In his Hall of Fame speech, right? He is now considered one of the greatest wide receivers to ever live. That's what the Hall of Fame means, right? This is what he says during his speech. My identity and security is found in the Lord. And what defines me and my validation comes in having accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as my personal Savior. And what defines me is the word of God. It is the word of God that will continue to shape and mold me into the person that I know that he calls me to be. So what Art Monk is saying is I don't identify and I'm not defined by my successful NFL career, my Super Bowl ring, my Hall of Fame praise. What defines me is my love for Christ and my identity in Christ. What he identifies is what? That he is a Christian. And he is united with other Christians. And he worships with other Christians. Is your identity found in your membership, your commitment to Christ's church? 
Jonathan Edwards says, divine excellencies, his excellencies manifest themselves in his people, in their community, in fellowship together, in their love to one another. God's divine excellencies, who God is, is expressed as we as Christians gather together in fellowship and in worship and our love for one another. So by not joining to a local church, by not being joined with other Christians, you're not experiencing the divine excellencies of God. Jonathan Edwards said. So be a Christian in a particular place. Worship Christ in a particular place. Be discipled in a particular place. Love your fellow brothers and sisters in a particular place. You should be a Christian in a particular place. Where is that place for you? It could be at Redeemer Fellowship Church. It could be at Westwood Baptist Church. It could be at Northwood Church. It could be at First Southern Church. It could be at several different churches in this town. Where will you be a Christian at? Is the question I'm asking you. You're a necessary member to a body of believers. If you're a Christian and have the Holy Spirit, you are a necessary member to a group of Christians, to a body of believers. Where is that body? You can't be a body by yourself. You make a, a grotesque body by yourself. Where are you committed to the whole? We define members as selfless, those who are selflessly committed to the mission of their church, which is to go and make disciples, and to be selflessly committed to loving Christ's people. If you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are well equipped to be selfless for the sake of others. If you forsake unity with believers, you're failing to produce the sign of the Holy Spirit within you. If you're in Christ, you will be committed, uh, you'll be uh, convicted of this sin and led to truth and to godly living. Where will you be a Christian? Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this, your word, this, this poem on love. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that uh, even though we typically read this during weddings and think of love only in the, the context of romance and marriage and husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend. The context of this beautiful poem on love, the context is the church. The context is the love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And if anyone in this, this lawn and this field, they hear this, they've struggled to be unified fellow believers, would help them understand their responsibility to others Lord, if they're not a believer in Christ, if they're accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, save them. Lord, bring to mind their sin, bring to their heart their sins against you, Lord, and trust in Christ Jesus for their, self, self, their salvation. And that they will be committed, they'll be united with a body of believers. That through the Holy Spirit, they are unified, baptized, connected to the body of believers given a spiritual gift to be used to equip the body of believers and given a love to love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, save those who are not saved. Lord, those who are saved and are not united to a church, who are not members of a church, Lord, strongly encourage them through your Holy Spirit. Convict them of the sin, lead them to truth, and lead them to God's living. We love you, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.